Welcome to the Shine Me A Light podcast. In this series, we're interviewing Sydney Girls High School students, class of 95, 27 years later. And this episode is Grace Kim. Okay, I have a couple of memories of you I wanted to share off the bat, okay? okay? Do you remember the Year 7 camp when I had a broken arm and I sang a song and you played a really cool piece of piano, but I won the cool mints because I had the broken arm? <laughs> Don't recall anything <laughs> from Year Seven. Camp. <laughs> Did I even go to Year Seven? And camp? It was a talent quest at the end of the camp, and I get up and sing with this broken arm, and everybody goes, "Look at that little eleven-year-old singing with a broken arm. Let's give her the cool wins." I don't remember the no. camp at all. I love it. Okay, I remember the food and everything. Okay, I'll oh my stop goodness. there. The other thing I remember is that first principal we had, Miss Shackley. Shackley, yeah. She, and remember, she would come around looking for talented penises if you weren't available. <laughs> The way she'd, she'd pull me out. She'd, she'd regularly pull me out of class to play for visit visitors. You know, visiting whoever's. Where's Grace? And it's like play. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> just just play something. If you weren't there, she would say, "Do we have any other talented penises in the class?" <laughs> really? <laughs> that was so good. Anyway, okay. So what we're pretty much doing is I want to just go over the last twenty-seven years. <laughs> And that's before 27, so you don't have to remember 1990. I left end in 94, so you guys all did HSC in 95. I left in year 11, like you one month. Into... I did one month of year 11. And, and you left. Okay, so we were both gone in yeah. 94. All right, beautiful. Where did you go and do HSC? I didn't do HSC. You didn't do your HSC? I was sneakily accepted at the conservatorium. <laughs> you had a good excuse. Um, in those days, if you it was called advanced standing, so if you kind of showed the level required to be in the, you know, to enter the tertiary, then, well, I guess uh, from leaving certificate, pretty much straight into their tertiary program. Yeah, I auditioned, and then I had to prove obviously that I could, you know, I'm at the level where I can, you know, t- tackle whatever the course was. Um, so then, yeah, I was kind of accepted. So I thought, do two years of HSC and then get into the con yep. or just get into the con. So <laughs> I didn't have the pleasure or the pain of HSC. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so you went to the conservatory. What did you do there? What was the degree? Um, I wasn't allowed to do bachelor because obviously I didn't have – so I, I, was, I was allowed to do diploma of music. Yep. And then I could – you know, continued to bachelor if, if I wanted to, but I got in as a diploma of music student. Um, I didn't end up doing that because then um, I I did do the diploma, but I didn't go to bachelor. Um, I did my three years there, which was um, fantastic, um, especially as a, what was, what was I, 16? You know, to go to uni yeah. is, is quite, you know, special. Okay. And... Um, yeah, did a lot of playing and learning about, you know, all the musical things and just general uni life and partying and... And you were 16. <laughs> well, I, I fully enjoyed my uni <laughs> life, let's say, and, um, yeah, got to do what I love doing, which is just playing piano and, and you know, consuming music. Um, so it was it was a fun time, and then I went to um, Australian National Academy of Music. Yep in Melbourne, which was a new, brand new institution um, 
that was um, going to be like the Institute of Sport, but for music. Yeah. So they um, had an open kind of recruitment audition call and uh, it was like a fully funded, um, a year fully subsidised um, course. It's called Advanced uh, Performance Program, I think, at that time. And there were only four pianists chosen from Australia. So we wow. were just training, basically, and doing all the, you know, kind of a finishing school, I suppose. And what um, was your dream at that point? I don't know. I, did, I never really, like, have a specific dream as such. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be a pianist and... Because I wanted to be a rock star, like, absolutely out of the gate. You know, that was my, you know, of course, it didn't happen. But like, just at that stage, did you have a, yeah, you didn't have a pre-formed fantasy? No, I was good at what I was doing and I was enjoying what I was doing. I used to say to my mum, you're just lucky that I actually like playing piano. Because <laughs> did so they that, want you to play? Well, of course, all the parents, you know, they're always nag about practising. Yeah. For the record, I don't actually like practicing, but I do like playing, and so I do enough to to get me get over the line, you know. And she would always say, "Oh, imagine if you really actually practiced. <laughs> How much better would be in the level?" <laughs> but um, yeah. So I just I was just in doing what I was enjoying and what I was good at. So I guess I didn't have a conscious like I want to go for this and. It was more like short-term things like, oh, I want to, you know, go for this competition or, you know, but I was already kind of accepted that I was in this um, arena that I wanted to be in. Yeah. So I'm lucky that way I didn't have to search or – but I did other things. Like I thought, I wonder what other people do, like normal normal jobs. And I did a bit of telemarketing and, you know. Wow. I would offer to, um, you know, when I go to people's houses, wash like do the dishes because my mum used to not let me do the Your dishes. Your mother didn't let you wash Your dishes. <gasps> oh wow! <laughs> you know, things like so, I went kind of the other way, you know, like trying like everyday stuff because for me that was um, I don't know intriguing. Out of reach. Yeah, <laughs> whatever's forbidden. Yeah, exactly. So. Okay, so from and this is not ANU. This is a this is in Melbourne National a- Institute Australian. National Academy of Music, ANAM it's called. So we can't even really have an acronym. It's sort of a bit crazy. A-N-A-M. We call it ANAM. Got it. Okay. So you're there. What happens from there? Then I wanted to go overseas. Yeah. But I needed to collect money like all Australians wanting to go overseas. Um, So while I was trying to gather some scholarships and things, I did my Master of Music at Melbourne University and during that time, yeah, I got my degree and I had another fabulous uni life and <laughs> um, then managed to gather a lot of scholarships and um, funding to go over, uh, one of which was the um, Australian Elizabeth, Elizabethan Trust and uh, I was also um, Winston Churchill Fellow. Yep. And uh, I also got a scholarship from the Hogan's, uh, the Dutch Cultural Fund. And is that how the Dutch connection happens? Yeah, so I met a teacher um, when I was at the National Academy who taught in Holland. He, he wasn't, he was one of those old, um, still one of the last kind of travelling teachers. Yeah. And he taught everywhere in Europe. And um, one of the places he 
had um, a position in was at in Holland, and since they speak English and all that, it was a bit yeah. you know, easier for me to go there. So I that was kind of my base uh, point. So that's where I aim to go, and so I got um, enough funding to last me two years, and went there. And had another fabulous year. I'm, I'm like institution kind of institutionalized. Yeah, no, I relate to it. Yeah, it's so lovely. Another view, a crazy nice, you know, and, and, and had a really good um, active musical career as well. By that time, I was a bit more grown up. So, you know, I did, um, I did have a really, um, I played with some amazing people and I played um, lots of concerts. And so I had a career there. And then, um, then I got married and I had children, and so it wasn't. It was supposed to be what supposed to be two years became like eight years, and that's where you met your husband in Holland. No, I, I, okay, so I I met my husband in Melbourne. Okay, <laughs> when he was um, while I was at Anam, and he came with his uh, quartet uh, for the Melbourne International Chamber Music Competition. Yeah, and I was like, I was helping out there. And then um, that's where we met. And that was it, really. Like, just once we met. And um, I was like, well, I might be going to Holland sometime in <laughs> the next years. two years or something, <laughs> you know, let's, you know, catch up or whatever. So we just kept in touch kind of long distance. Yeah. And so that's how it kind of evolved. And when I did move over there, um, we were already kind of going out, let's say. So we kind of continued there and then got married and had kids. And I was like, I need my mom. <laughs> I mean, we can't lug children. We need to, you know, we we would strap the kids in the car seat and drive to uh, festivals in Tuscany overnight, so that that would that would be their sleeping Sleep time yeah. and you know crazy things like that. And we would take um, our babysitter with us, and you know, it was just at a certain point they became mobile and. <laughs> uncontainable yeah and so i was like okay i think i've proven myself here yeah i don't really need like to you know there was nothing more that i really wanted to do i even played for the dutch royal family so um i think i just fantasized about these things you see i never actually did it so yeah just just i just thought okay well i think it's time that you know and tao is my husband um he's the principal cellist of the Opera Australia Orchestra yep. at the moment. And we just said, okay, well, if you're open to living in a different country, I mean, Australia is not so bad. It has, like, sunshine. Um, so <laughs> give it a go. Let's give it a go. And we get free babysitting, you know. <laughs> Mom's there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we just kind of, without any job or anything, we just decided that, okay, We'll make it happen and we moved and then we looked for a job but I mean we were hireable but also it's my home country like it's yeah. not like I'm going to a foreign country so I knew and I would come back every year I still had you know relationship you know professional and personal relationships here as well so yeah it was ne- it wasn't too hard to pick up where I left off so I started teaching at the conservatorium um the rising stars program. and you're still teaching at the conservatorium today Yes. So, yeah, I teach I teach um, on Saturdays, yeah. the Rising Stars program, which is a talented kind of we audition uh, school-age children. Yeah. And that's where they kind of get their training. So they're not yet in the conservatory? No. They're sort of in training to 
Yeah, so we I think it's the idea is to make sure they have a really good foundation um, to make a kind of smoother pathway for the conservatorium should they wish to go. Because sometimes at tertiary level when you um, audition, you get all different kinds of um, applicants, obviously, from different backgrounds, musical yep. backgrounds and training. And I guess it's like a one way to to they kind know. of, you know, tap into the conservatorium teachers already yeah. at a younger level. And they know what level. And, yeah, and, and, and get used to the, you know. Because I remember level. auditioning for the conservatorium high school. Okay. And I had only ever sung on my own with no accompaniment and they insisted I have an accompaniment and that just put me off. That was way too much. It was the wrong key and I couldn't tell them how to change it. And oh, no. I just froze. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good program. I like the sound of that. Yeah, Conservatorium High School is a little bit different. It's separate from the Conservatorium, even though it says Conservatorium. Yeah. Um, it's in the same building, obviously, but and they use the, the facilities and the staff, uh, but they have their own kind of Department of Education staff. Because they have, to have the syllabus as well, wouldn't they? Yeah, so the idea is that they tap into the con facilities and, and expertise um, for musical things. But I think that like it's selective school as well now, so it's quite like academic. So that that is your only role at the conservatorium at the moment, or and how has that changed over the years? So when you applied for a job first, what was the job? Was it that? When I came back, I started teaching privately. Okay. So that that kind of I I was quite full with the private teaching, but then um because they you know people heard I'm back in town, and so and all kind of our age group started having children to like "Ah, take my my child, (laughs) (laughs) but um. No, yeah, I just picked up um, from just networks and, yeah, just started filling up. So that was not a problem. And I also started some series, Chamber Music series as well. And I ran a couple, for a couple of years um, at Concord Hospital. They have a fundraising um, event that's called Opera, Opera Night at Rivendell. And Rivendell is this gorgeous kind of... Um, estate uh i think the great gatsby was filmed there actually you know those oh, wow. kind of beautiful it was like a convalescent like a great name for a vineyard yeah and um estate where the um uh, veterans war veterans or you know people with trauma could um Go. recoup there yeah. yeah so they have they use that space for events yeah. and on weekends um during the day it's i think uh, weekdays, it's for adolescents, uh, home away from home. Yeah. Um, for you know troubled teenagers or you know. Um, so okay. it's a it's a nice Everyone place for yeah it's really calm place and anyway so, um, happened that I was living in Concord and they were looking for someone to help. Uh, well, they, they it's been going for ten years but I yeah stepped in and um ran the um musical programs for the opera it was like an outdoor opera um concert so put together orchestra and you know arrange the singers and put on a show and raise money for the hospital yeah so um did that and then there was a spin-off where i did a chamber music series as well yeah so more intimate in the hall and uh got my um uh, you know, musician, professional musicians, friends, and, you know, to play together and it was really nice. And 
So it was really, what was really great for me was that even though I came back from being away, I could still offer work to other people. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed that part. Like, yeah, it's, of course, sure. it's good to get work for myself, but it's nice to share. Like, it's nice to be able to be in a position where I can also, you know, offer yeah, people. Facilitate. Yeah. So that's what I enjoy doing. And so I kind of, you know, when I was young, I still organised parties. and stuff. I just, I like organising stuff like and social things. And I've seen these sensory concerts. Did they come before your son? Because I've also seen your son and his book. My son's autistic as well, so I relate to that. So I saw it caught my attention. So did the sensory concerts come from your experience with your son or was that something you were already doing? No, no, definitely. I was not aware of what sensory anything was Yeah. Um, until we've had a kind of a diagnosis for my son. Yeah. So that's when I um, – we lived in Concord for – I don't know, a couple of years before we moved to the Blue Mountains. And when we moved to the Blue Mountains, um, we started exploring with a diagnosis for my son yeah. because um, obviously the schools start flagging things. Yeah. And um, we were already aware of there was, was something. first child? Yeah. Because I sort of, I, with my son, it was my first child, so I didn't. It's not as noticeable, I think, for me anyway as your first because it's your child. What other experience do you have? So Yeah, you've got nothing to compare with. <laughs> yeah. And only when you go to school they they, they, they know what the kind of the standard thing is. And yeah. um so but we we kind of decided that well we weren't looking for a diagnosis as such, but we will do the work. Yeah. Um but in the end we decided to get it because we realised that there were um lots of other opportunities for like funding opportunities and support yeah. network that we can tap into. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, discussed with the psychologist what's the best way to go about it. And um, my son's personality was such that he, we thought that he could handle um, this information. Yeah. And so how to tell him this so Noah's story the story that I wrote is like a coming out thing that we did together to yes. process um this information and so we uh he loves drawing and things drawing. like that yeah so I just wrote this story was just written not like not as a book I'm going to publish a book or something it was just <laughs> a quick pdf thing that I did in you know, one one sleepless night yeah for for the teachers to share with the t class teachers, to share with the, the, the kids so that they can kind of under try to understand or at, at least discuss. Experience, yeah. yeah, so that was what it was. And then the next morning I said, do you want to do some drawings to, is this okay? Like I, you know, showed it to him yeah. and he said, that's fine. And, and I said, is that how you feel or whatever? So then, you know, he drew some pictures and um, then I just emailed it to the teacher and it wasn't until like a couple of years or even three years later or something like that, I was doing, I was at a conference and an opportunity to publish came up. So it was really, you know, it was yeah. just a chance thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so then, um, but I think it gave him confidence. Yeah. Own to it. own it. But he, he totally owned it. Just but also, yeah. Great for someone so young. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's not. For everyone, but I think for our son, it, it really did, you know, did help him yeah. 
to open up and to be able to be kind of proud or you know uh, be confident with who he is and yeah. and be able to verbalize and express his you know feelings and thoughts and that's that's and and the spin-off from that was that other people could use that um you know a lot of feedback I got from parents and I even found a little note in his bag he was having trouble with another girl at in in um, primary school and she was also on the spectrum and they've been butting heads a lot <laughs> And then I saw this beautiful um, letter exchange and I said, and, and she wrote, I read your book and um, I'm also, I also have Asperger's and um, let's try to be friends or something like that. Oh, adorable. And then I saw the reply go, thank you very much for your letter. You know, like very formal. Yeah. And I accept your <laughs> apology, you know. <laughs> and yes, we are we are very similar, so um, we I think we can be friends or something like that, Love you know. It. Yeah. But it was really sweet. And so the book is kind of a medium where people can kind of connect. Yeah. And I had other mothers um, tell me things like, oh, so good to just give someone a book to, without having to explain yeah. in a non-threatening way because, you know, it's just a very children's poor children's book. book. And, and to have something f- for me to use as a tool. Yeah. Um, is it's been you know invaluable and so yeah so amazing that something small can make an impact on other people's lives Um, so yeah I mean all those things and so how did you become aware that the sensory concerts would be a benefit was that professionals pointing that out and no, well, no, that was just when I was in the mountains and there was not a lot going on in the mountains in terms of classical music. Yeah. So I actually started a series called Mountain Concerts, which is basically um, inviting professional musicians to put on chamber music concerts in a kind of heritage area, you know, so matching the scenery of the mountains yeah. and music. And, and then um, I got a chance to uh, start a... I don't know why I'm doing opera. <laughs> opera. Calling you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, opera fest. Everyone likes opera because it's very kind of dramatic and festive and you know um, over the top. And so uh, at the Hydro Majestic, they wanted an opera festival. Yeah. So I ran that on a weekend um, with high tea and you know dinner and gala and all that. And oh, yeah. so I was doing that, and I and then I realised, um, you know, both of us, my husband and I, are professional musicians. And we couldn't really take our children to kind of classical concerts yeah. due to this expected behaviour of sitting still yes. and being quiet. And I thought, well, and I didn't want them to just go to, you know, being professional musicians, we wanted them to be exposed to really high-quality music, yeah. like the Opera House or whatever, you know, could take them to Sydney Symphony or whatever, you know. Yeah. Why not? Because we have access to life. that. Yeah. And um, just like you want to feed your kids organic food or something, you know, the best that you can give them. Yeah. And and quickly we realised it just was not possible because it was not worth it because of the stress. <laughs> because as musicians also yeah. we know how we feel when someone does that too. Child is but, up so, it's a double, <laughs> so it's double as a parent, as, a, as an audience member, but yeah. also as a musician, I know that I might be distracting the other person, you know, so yeah. all that, so it's not yeah, worth it. And um, I thought that's really unfair. 
Here's a piece of the music from the Sensory Concerts. It's called Arietta by Grieg. That was just amazing. I don't know about everyone else, but I am definitely heading to one of these sensory concerts next time they are near me. You know, so yeah. all that, I thought it's not yeah, worth it. And um, I thought that's really unfair um, because they deserve also to access the benefits of live music is so well documented now yeah. um, for their development and emotional regulation. Yeah, neuronal growth actually grow. Yeah. yeah, but also the most important thing, and that's what I'm researching at the moment, is music um, really helps with emotional regulation, which means that will help their um, future life skills. Yeah. yeah. If you can't regulate your emotions, you, are, you have a higher chance of um, depression, risky behaviours, um, all sorts of things. I'm hearing you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, if music can help... You know, uh, that and also going out in a, it's a social event. You're yeah. part of a community yes, and you're exactly. experiencing something together, but also individually. Yeah. So, you know, all, all, you know, everything that live music concert can offer is just so, like, all in one. And beneficial, yeah. And, you know, it's, classical music is not harmful at all. So it's really no-brainer. Like, why would you not go if you have access to it? Yeah. And so um, families like ours did not have, I mean, we did have access to it, but it was very, yeah. a lot of obstacles um, to make it worth going to. So, and it's not, it's just tradition, you know, that's just how it's been and they never um, needed to change as such. But as, as we are more aware of the neurodiversity and all the different needs that people have, um, I just thought, well, that's not, you know, I've got to do something because <laughs> I'm a doer. <laughs> like most Sydney girls, people. And um, so I just started because, I mean, I already had the goods in terms of I'm already like an artistic director for a lot of series. Yeah. So I know how to do a series. Yeah. And I was learning a lot through my child's um, therapies. I thought, well, what is this sensory thing I never realised? And um, so sensory processing um, difficulties happen. Everyone has it to some degree, I suppose. They're yeah, either very sensitive, yeah, or um, and we all regulate 
regulate ourselves kind of unconsciously. Yeah. Like with varying degrees of success. Yeah. yeah, well, you might have coffee. For instance, just having coffee yeah. because you feel kind of, you know, lethargic <laughs> is already regulation. Like you're, you're helping your body to get to um, a stage of engagement or, or what alertness or whatever you need to be, or you wind down, you have a bath or something, if you're yeah. feeling overwhelmed or you might sleep, you know, like so you are constantly regulating your senses and your body yeah. to make it feel kind of grounded. Yeah. But children um, and adults, but children especially, find it really difficult to know how to do that yet. That's why they run around and do and so. Some yeah, and it's not because they want to make trouble. Yeah. It's just they don't... You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah they don't know how to control their bodies or anything yet, you know, and they don't know what's happening either. So it's yeah. just a very organic, natural reaction to whatever's happening. And so when you have in one space a lot of people and there's music going on, that's fine. But if there's other things that if you've got sensory sensitivity like chewing, smell, light, bright lights, something scratchy, you know, yeah. all sorts of things happening, then you're completely Overload. overloaded yeah. very quickly. Forget about the music. You don't even know why you're here. You know, <laughs> it's hard to focus on what you're supposed to be focusing on. Yeah, you these socks off. Yeah, so that's, that's so the idea of sensory concert is can we remove, help remove some of these things or help su- support in a way that it, is sensory friendly, the, the environment is sensory friendly so that the level of engagement can be quicker so that everyone's at the same level of ready to listen. And then we perform the music. Then they get the maximum kind of benefits out of them. They can actually, you know, focus there's on There's research on the neuroplasticity, isn't there, of this stuff. It actually changes the brain, the hardwiring of it over time. Anything can change. Like, you know, yeah. talking, you and I talking now changes our wiring. Yeah. Um, so, banging noises, yeah. yeah. So I think, but, I, you know, if you can have access to live music, that is much, you know, that, that, that puts in, that's, you know, you have an experience that is more enriching, you know, than not having it. I'm not saying you, you have, you know, a bad life because you don't listen to live music. No. But it's like meditation. Yeah. It's like anything. Like if you have, you know, experience something, every experience adds, adds to your life. Yeah. So um, knowing that live music is good for you. Yeah. Well, why not access it if you can, you know? So um, so that's what I was trying to do, just create a space. So I, I collaborated with, you know, my son's therapist because I'm not the wow. professional in that way, yeah. but I'm a professional musician and, and um, you know, artistic uh, director. So we, we collaborated and recruit, kind of did a pilot, got, a, got funding um, from Blue Mountain City Council, and we just kind of, you know, thought, okay, let's just give it a go and see what it's like. And, and the first pilot concert was amazing. It was just really, um, before we started, I peeked outside and because um, we had a lot of different kind of seatings and we started the social distancing first, I think. <laughs> Just yeah. we, we kept the numbers to minimum yeah. so that everyone had their own personal space and people could have um, choose wherever they wanted to sit, whether that be we had different textured 
um, seating materials. You could sit on a seat or you could lie down on a rug or, and you know, and there was even a retreat area. So if it was too much, you could actually just go away for a bit but still see the concert through the glass. Yeah. And there was an audio in the room, as well, like a cry room in a church, you know. Um, and I peeked through and it was just lots were going on. Kids were running around and a lot of, you know, I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> okay, we can do this, you know. And we ran in and the first note we played, silence. Oh, wow. We like, Whoa. So immediate, immediate um, effect. And then um, we played and after we finished, noise it's like off on off on you know with our music and um we thought okay well this is something worth pursuing further phenomenon yeah it's like we were really didn't expect that kind of a strong reaction like you know so then um i developed it over the over the course of the year you know tweaking it we've had surveys and feedback to make it you know um finesse it a little bit more so that you know we can give a really really good experience for everybody involved and it's been going for now for for i'd say five years but we don't count the covid (laughs) how did covid impact it obviously it shut everything down for a while are they back up and running now yes so we've had two early this year yeah um already in shell harbour and in dromoyne and the responses were just amazing and it was a pity because we were just picking up and we were actually touring around and we got a donation for a trailer and we had cushion donation and so we were all set ready to travel and we had been traveling we played in adelaide um newcastle festival and we kind of collaborate and partner with existing arts organizations as well so this was all going and then COVID hit and everything was cancelled of course um so we've just now we're on we're back um Doing our postponed concerts, yeah, and we are this year's music backlog. Yeah, <laughs> Music Aviva's uh, regional tour artists, featured artists as well. Um, so we'll be going to Tamworth, um, and yeah, so we're just you know starting back up again, and the response has been like, oh, you know, you can't get it up. Yeah, people and, are so wanting to get out and do stuff. Yeah, and also just I think what's great about these concerts, it's not only for people. Um, who are interested in music, a lot of them come because it's somewhere they can go. Yeah, with their children. With their children in an accepting and a kind of understanding space. Yeah. But then they realise, oh, these are people from the opera house. You know, you also get quality (laughs) on top of that. Yeah. Because that's one thing that was non-negotiable. I really wanted um, not just, you know. Not to compromise the quality. Yeah, because I'm a professional, but also being on this side now in terms of, uh, my mum has dementia as well, so yeah. I'm in I'm in that world, and I realise that not all services are of quality. Yeah, and sometimes you get a token gesture or some crumbs, you know. You get me showing up. Yeah, so I wanted people to feel like someone's putting in an effort, genuine effort, to create quality experience. Yeah. Um, not just ticking the box of, oh, yeah, I've done something for disability. Yeah. Um, so that it's the same, if, if not more, effort I put into these concerts than, you know, what you call normal concerts or whatever. You know, yeah. I put a lot of thought into the programming, the order of the pieces, 
choice of pieces and so much so that now I've gone back to study at the Marx Institute of, um, I always get this wrong, Brain, Behaviour and Development. Love it. I think. That's what it's called, <laughs> Marx Institute for Brain, Behaviour and Development. Twist out. <laughs> yeah. um, researching on sensory-friendly elements in music. Yep. So that you can go a step further and program music that might have those elements. Wow. Um, which I kind of am doing anyway, but I just it's good to do an official kind of research on it. So I'm just I'm just in the middle of you know writing a thesis about that, and I've just done a couple of experiments as well. So to just kind of give it scientific um, backing as well. Yeah. And yeah, so you know, just to know that someone is going all the way because this is for my children, this is for my mother, it's for your mother, your, you know, your family members, um, yeah. you know, the, the I think yeah. it's time now that people really put in some, you know, genuine effort into, because, I mean, autism or anything awareness now is quite, you know, rising and you can't ignore it. Yeah. And so, you know, all the measures that are put in, you know, you see now, you know, there's um, efforts being made to make, sensory friendly hours you know even quiet hours in shopping centers or they have like early entry hours at museums yeah. people are trying yeah to accommodate um yeah accommodate or at least have, have, have an option yeah um to go somewhere i mean it's still a long way to go like one quiet hour is not gonna solve you the train and you missed the quiet hour yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was involved in this Woolies Quiet Hour in Katoomba. I wouldn't every um, <laughs> But it was like Judgment. Tuesday, 10 a.m., you yeah. know, like who shops then, you know. Um, but if you, at least it was there. If you, yeah. if you thought, I can't shop at all, at yeah. least I have that time slot to go to. Because you do, you see parents out there with the children and the noise cancelling headphones and you know it's a struggle for them. And if they had that hour available, they could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, it's just to have that option at least is a good start and um, I would like to see more um, it becoming more mainstream let's say because it benefits yeah. everyone who doesn't want because we have such a diversity neurologically with people and, and I think you're right awareness is increasing it's not there completely but there is a diversity of services you know it's still yeah. one way school great example and yeah you know entertainment being well, it's like um you know, if you have a wheelchair ramp, everyone can still use it. Yeah. Including the wheelchair, but it's not wheelchair specific only, you know what yeah. I mean? So if you um, design or um, make products with that as a focus first, it benefits everyone anyway. Yeah. It's not that they can't use it. Yeah. But if you just, just if you way. just make products based on, you know, neurotypical or able body, then yeah. not everyone can use it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so if you just could open your mind a little bit and and make that a bit, bit, bit more of a mainstream focus, then there's really everyone can benefit and there's no, no everyone wins. Yeah. So um, I think the mind shift um, is changing. Yeah, we're getting there. It's a fabulous yeah. thing to be passionate about. I love it. Okay, so we have we covered, I mean, eight years overseas just went, seemed like, were there moments in that eight years where you were pinching yourself and thinking, I can't believe I'm here? 
or for you was it such a gradual progression that every day just felt I, I don't know if I ever like stopped and think about oh this is my life or something I think I was just busy living my life yeah um only when you become parents you start reflecting on things like I suppose and um yeah being a parent it makes you really appreciate the things you have and go for things you don't have um like advocating for your children um and things you are not aware of um so you learn a great deal by being a parent I think yeah um and children basically force you to do that (laughs) force you to think and whether you like it or not um so you learn a lot and you um become more resourceful more than you ever thought you would be yeah um to help your children yeah and to make a better future in life for everybody do they play um my younger son tom he plays trumpet right and my oldest he used to do the drums he was very good at the drums but he's more like a computer guy, so he's he's more it's his thing. Yeah, like um, he likes to make animations and uh, wow. coding and stuff like that. So something I'm I'm very, very bad at. Yeah, so, <laughs> progressive. <he's> very tech. <laughs> internet is his world, you know. <laughs> like yeah, but the internet was created by people on the spectrum, so it's their language. Yeah. So, and it's so weird, isn't it? Having gone to it's like from school, the first time I used a word processor was the end of high school, you know. And today, you know, like it's so commonplace. I remember playing Carm- "Where's Carmen San Diego?" Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Yeah. Pac-Man, floppy, floppy disk, Alien, was it Space Invaders? Where you just had the four bases. And I remember there was in high school. Um, what was it? They offered a course, computing course. I mean, like a subject. And MS-DOS was like this thing, this new thing that everyone had to learn. I wasn't in the computing class, but I remember like, oh, yeah, you know, MS-DOS. It's crazy. Do you remember that Canadian careers advisor? I can't remember his name, but I can remember his voice, the Canadian booming voice. He had three recommendations for careers for us, and it was engineering, which, you know, fair enough. Um, The other two, though, were book binding and sheep herding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I was lucky we didn't get into those, but computing would have been a better recommendation. Oh, goodness. I remember I did go back. I did drop by one stage uh, a couple of years ago, I think, a few years ago on my way to – because sometimes I record music the Fox Studios for film music. Yes, it's now Fox Studios. Yeah, the, yeah. the soundtracks and stuff. And it's on the way, you know. So I dropped by. I didn't know anyone. And um, I just went to the office and I'm an old girl. Is any any teachers left here? You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> Is anyone here? Miss Serby's still there, I think. The what drama teacher. With the long curly yeah. hair. Oh, I think wow. She's, I saw her. She was, she's, I think she's the remaining kind of Only. teacher from our era hold out from the 90s i might have to drop in that would be that's a good idea and that okay have we gotten to today is this where you're at today what are your plans for the future i have no immediate plans (laughs) i love it (laughs) i don't really plan as such i have um I just get by, as in, like, I just do what I need to do for the you day. You're too amazingly getting by. 
I don't. I try not to think too much ahead. Like as in, have a general goal or something, but not like I would like to achieve something. It's not achievement based. Yeah, it's more um, driven by what I want to do or what needs doing, Um, and then I just find a way to do it. Do you use mantras? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the right question. I'm, not, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask Don't that do kind mantras. Of I do memes. <laughs> Sometimes I put, I see memes on Facebook and I share that. I so, think, oh, yeah, are you telling me, Grace, that your secret to your success is being present in the day and just <laughs> focusing on what you're doing? It's just too simple and logical. Oh, sorry. I can't give you any spiritual. (laughs) This is what I say to myself when I wake up in the morning. All right, look, thank you so much for chatting. It's been wonderful to catch up with you. Thanks. And now to finish off the podcast, here's a piece of music played by Grace Kim. I believe it to be Trauma Ray by Schumann. It means dreaming.